I hope you brought an apple for the teacher because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome one and all to another edition of the Star Seminar. This is a team taught course. Your two professors today, as always, will be Dr. Danny Phantom and yours truly, Professor Rabble Rouser. Both of us with PhDs in footballology, we're here to bring the knowledge. How are you today, sir? I'm doing good. I'm a little bit, I didn't get good rest last night because we have a cat that for some reason likes to sleep on top of my laptop and it just really bothers me and I'm constantly just moving them and it's weird we got this new cat so we actually lost our cat a month ago a couple months ago I think uh got hit by a car and then it's weird when we when we came home this random cat we actually like in the middle of the night took him to the vet emergency stuff you know and it was and we came back and this random cat we have never seen before was just sitting like right in our front porch like who are you but since then, we have, it's just like, thinks he lives here now. Like, he knew we had an opening or something. And so now he's been our cat, and lovable cat and stuff, but he just, like, crawls all over stuff. And it just really bugs me. And I don't like him, like, walking all over my desk. And he just, maybe it's the warmth of the laptop. I don't know. But he loves to sleep on top of it. So, yeah, I wake up, you know, a couple times a night dragging that cat off my laptop. But I don't know. Are you, do you guys, you have any, owning pets? Are you, are you, do you, like, love dogs or cats? I love both, actually. Um, I've owned dogs, cats, rabbits, um, I think uh, probably other mammals, uh, like, you know, hamsters and stuff when I was a kid. Um, I, I, tend to, I tend to like all, all mammals. I've never really quite understood people who, you know, like snakes or, you know, reptiles and amphibians and things like that. Um, it's not, not, my, not my particular bag. And I, I'll be honest with you, birds just creep me out, dude. They do. They creep me out. Um, but I. But yeah, I, I'm an animal lover. Um, you know, my wife and I have always had at least two cats. I haven't had a dog in a few years because I live in the city. But before that, you know, I've had several dogs as well. And um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely love animals. Except, as I was saying earlier, because birds creep me out. I really hate eagles. Yeah, I think we all hate eagles. But too, I, birds are creepy. I mean, you're just like. I mean, you, you, you can't really, if, if you have them as a pet, it's, it's going to be like a parrot or something. Those, those things can be obnoxious. So definitely, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the birds either, but I do love, I do love dogs and cats. Um, mm-hmm. I, although I will say that my love for cats is starting to just kind of, it's trending down because we just have, we always just have them and they're just constantly there. And the cats are just like, they're all about themselves and stuff. And that, I don't know. I just can't relate with that. I can't work with that. I, I feel like there's got to be some, like dogs are like, there's a partnership, you know, they love you, you love them and stuff. Cats are kind of like, it's my world and you guys are just living in it. And you just kind of have to kind of just, you know, deal with that. So I don't know. I'm not a huge cat lover, but I mean, I love, I love all animals, but, um. So speaking of, uh, of, of animals, uh, we have a strange animal on our, on our schedule coming up this week, a, uh, a team that's, that's recently changed names. Um, and, fairly recently changed coaching staffs but you know the the new iteration is no is nowhere near as as formidable as some earlier iterations of this particular Washington 
um, organization. So before we bring on our guests for this week, I, I wanted to kind of ask you, um, how do you feel about Washington in, in the last, I don't know, I mean, probably for the bulk of the 2000s? Uh, you know, I don't think anybody would say that that the Washington-Dallas rivalry is is a great rivalry anymore or that it's like they're the most intense rivalry for, for them as Cowboy fans. So I guess the question for you is, would you rather that the, that the commanders, as they're now known, would, would be good again and so we could renew the rivalry? Or do you like them just where they are, where they're an annual patsy and good for at least one, if not usually two wins? Absolutely the latter. I mean, I, I, I know that sounds like really greedy and um... – but when it comes to NFC East teams in general, I mean, I always root for them to lose unless winning somehow helps the Cowboys in some type of seating um, arrangement. But there's no, I mean, I'll, I'll, actually, no, that's not true. There is one little caveat to that. When they are basically, for all intent and purposes, eliminated, I'll actually root for them to win so their draft capital it's not as high. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's just, that's just how mean I am and how, you know, how, how much I despise those guys. So, but no, but no, I just, no, I can't do it, Rabs. I mean, I, I just want them to be terrible. I want them to be, I mean, we see these guys, you know, twice a year and you want the, you know, you want the organization just to all, always be struggling and finding their way and having all these problems and stuff. I don't, I don't want them to be good at all. They're, I mean, I've, I've seen enough when you and I have seen enough of the rivalry to where like we've gotten our fill. We don't need to rekindle it. I mean, we we remember the the days back into you know in the eighties and stuff. And um, you know, I remember you're asking me like, what's my most hated? What's my most hated player? And I, I as like thinking through like you know Washington players, I don't really have a like a lot of hate for for any one individual. But I tell you what, what I do hate is I I hate the funky bunch. You know, I hate those guys. I hate those guys. Anybody that participated. And the, the, or no, the fun bunch, excuse me, the fun bunch. Remember what, you know what I'm talking about? The, the getting the they circle do. and they're, they're wide receiver. Oh group. my gosh. I just hated that so much. And I, I still remember when like Dennis Thurman and Michael Downs, you know, tried to break it up in Texas stadium and stuff. And so, I mean, that's what I hate. Um, but yeah, no, I, what about you, you Rabs? Do you want these guys to be good or, or, or are you, are they forever, you know, are you forever going to hate those guys? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Um, I, I used to really like that that anticipation when you'd have to play the Joe Gibbs Redskins because you knew they were always going to give you a good game. They never gave you a bad game. And, um, and the Cowboys did pretty well against them. Even, even, you know, in the years that the Joe Gibbs Redskins went on to win Super Bowls and do other, do other things. Um, but here, here's, here's why I actually wish the, the rivalry would come back because I think that there's something about the way the NFC East is constructed, especially lately where, both the Giants and, and Commanders have been bad for a while. And the Eagles, have, you know, the Eagles seem like they might be good this year, but they haven't been great the last few years. Um, where a couple things. One, there's not that sort of crucible where you get tested. So by the time you get to the playoffs, you've, 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 if you've made the playoffs, you've made it because your division games were brutal and you were playing some of the best teams in the league multiple times and you were prepared. If, if you were still healthy at all, if your team wasn't decimated, you were ready for the playoffs. You were tested for the playoffs. That's one. And two is, I think when the other teams in the NFC East are all good, or at least there's like see, two or two other good teams in a four-team NFC East, like legit, like playoff contender teams, I think it. I think it makes your front office improve their game. 
And so I think one of the things that, that's happening for all the NFC East teams is, you know, that I've joked on Twitter a lot that one of the reasons why we haven't had a repeat champion in the NFC East since 2003-2004 is that all of the front offices are just incompetent enough to, to not be manufactured that. They, none, none of them can quite quite do enough things well to, to, to create a champion who can be a back-to-back or back-to-back-to-back kind of, you know, division champion. Um, and I think, but I think one of the reasons for that is that all the other teams are bad enough that nobody really, really has to create a tremendous team to, to be a, to be a, a contender. Like everybody can be a contender with a team that's slightly better, better than average, slightly better than mediocre. And so to me, the more teams in the NFC East that can be good, the more it forces you to never sit on your hands, to always find ways to, you know, to, 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 um, you know, to use all avenues in terms of talent acquisition, et cetera. Um, and it, you know, it's six games a year where your team is tested against the very best. And honestly, like they've had one of the weakest uh, divisions in football. And, and so being a champion from the NFC East is being like a paper champion. How, re- how, how ready are you really for the playoffs? And I think maybe you're not. And that's one of the reasons why they haven't done well. Yeah, that is, that is very interesting point, Rabs. And uh, no, you know, I, that's, it's you're absolutely right too because the Cowboys do they go through this and it's it's kind of just a lack of preparation. No, I you know it's like the you know iron sharpens iron sort of thing and, and the Cowboys exactly. aren't getting any of that with with the East. I always you've heard me say this before. I always thought that like the our rivals deficiencies come from them trying to one up the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys have kind of created this weaker division because teams will roll the dice and take shots. You know, Eagles of course. They were successful in 2017, but there's been a lot of craziness, just madness, you know, going through the, the organizations trying to take big gambles that have just flat out backfired and it would made them just terrible. Um, but then the aftermath of that is you have a, a division that really just doesn't get you ready for, for the real deal. And, uh, and the Cowboys, you know, as we know, are always ill-equipped come, you know, the second season. And, you know, that's, very interesting, you know. Leave it to Rabs to, you know, bring, bring the knowledge. I mean, think about think about the the division the Cowboys were in when they were ascending to the Super Bowl in the nineties and the, and the right, 90s, right, right. So, so we're talking about a team in the New York Giants who won the Super Bowl in in, in nineteen ninety. We're talking about the Redskins winning in nineteen ninety one. Uh, the Eagles Eagles had maybe the best team of the three with that incredible defense they had with Seth Joyner and Clyde Simmons and Reggie White and. You know, Andre Water. I mean, they were they were unbelievable, and they had and you know, Randall Randall Cunningham was a really really interesting, scintillating uh, highlight reel of a quarterback. Getting through those three teams and and growing to become better than those teams. Yes, they were declining in aging teams, but they were still talented, proud teams. And 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 so Jimmy Johnson had to build a team that could beat those guys regularly enough to to get to you know get a get a playoff seating, and he, and he did, and. So by the time they did, I mean, you know, playoffs were a cakewalk basically for them. Yeah. No, and I'm changing my answer. I am copying off my friend. I want them to be better. You know, I thought that I thought I was being smart and playing it safe, you know, and just taking taking the inferior opponent. But I don't think that's really going to help us in the long run. So, yeah, I'm I'm changing my. I want them. I don't want You're them to be great. You're not copying off me. You're not copying off me, my friend. We are co-authoring a paper. <laughs> All right. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. That's fine. So speaking of co-authoring, uh, so why don't you tell us what we have on today's show? Oh, I'd be glad to. So uh, we are blessed today to uh, have as our guest 
lecturer, Professor Extraordinaire, Dr. Jamal Forrest. Um, Jamal is the Prince of Podcasts over at Hogshaven, and he also does some really, really interesting stuff um, at the Trap or Dive podcast, um, which you can see on YouTube. He does a lot of film breakdowns and stuff, so he's got a really interesting um, you know, really interesting kind of analytical eye, does some stuff with draft prospects, et cetera, et cetera. So I think he's really well poised to talk to us about the state of the current Washington football team. All so right. let's get him in here. All right. It is my succinct pleasure to welcome into the classroom Jamal Forrest, who is uh, not only um, a podcaster extraordinaire at Hogs Heaven, but uh, the co-host of the Trap or Dive podcast, which can be found on YouTube, where he does a lot of really interesting uh, film breakdown work. Glad to have you here, Jamal. Welcome. <laughs> Jamal, welcome. How are you doing? Look, I'm doing all right. Thanks to Will. I appreciate you all having me. Um, you know, I, I think before we started, I'm, I'm glad football is, is taking place right now because before we started, I got hit with a bill in my messages. And, and the Lord knows you don't have time for that drama during the day. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation, <laughs> fellas. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, you know, what we press upon you today will not be nowhere nearly as, uh, you know, stressful as that. But, uh, you know, we do got some got some questions for you. And, uh, you know, we're going to just kick it off right, going right for, you know, below the belt. You know, we want to talk about, you know, with Cowboy fans, so there's no shortage of excitement for us when we have an owner like Jerry Jones. But you guys in Washington, you know, you have your own little share of drama with Mr. Dan Snyder. So as we sit together in our little support group, you know, make us feel better by sharing what it's like to root for a team owned by Dan Snyder. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, and, and it's interesting from the sense of like the, the transformation that is taking place over the years with a, a, a owner and Dan Schneider. Right. So like, um, early, early years and even up until, let's say, let's say 2009. So we're talking about like the Albert Hainsworth era. So for a long, for about 10 years under Dan Schneider, um, the marketing and, and the, the ability to, to grab all these players that he did through free agency or through trade or however it be, um, you know, that is what encompassed uh, the Dan Schneider era is going big in free agency, winning free agency, and then duds in the regular season. But that never stopped fans from buying back in throughout the offseason because he did a really good job with his promotion um, and, and really good job at selling points. And for a person like me who is uh, on the younger side, I, I am 28. I'm, I'm pretty young. I don't really experience winning with this franchise that often but when you ask about you know what it's like to, to root for a team under Dan Snyder um it's it's not it's not easy and, and and seeing so many losses can get deflating but from from people in my age group a lot of people are emotionally invested in, into that side and, and I've also seen people who have been emotionally detached from a, a long period after 2009 the Albert Ainsworth era in which they're they're going through these games and they're trying to figure out why am I still here? Like RG three was the biggest the biggest draw for for a lot of fans that sucked everybody back in. Like even the people who I, I know a trainer, a personal trainer of mine, um, and he said around the year like so maybe 20, 2011, around the year in which uh, you know right before RG three got drafted, he tapped out. So even when 
even when RG3 was here, it was not strong enough to reel him back in. He did watch games. He's in the area. So he watched games from time to time, but he never was really drawn back in. So when his decision to to not really invest into the team again because of what Dan Snyder has done, uh, it, it really looked like he was proven right the very next year in 2013 when everything went downhill with RG3. And when you see all of these things and, and some of the factors that he plays a part in, uh, you know, he chose RG3 over the head coaching staff. Ultimately, that went downhill. Um, You see the, the decisions to draft uh, rest in peace as well. Dwayne Haskins uh, in the first round, it forces Washington to give up a draft pick later because they really wanted Montez Sweat. Um, and, and you have to buy your way back into the first round. Um, and, and, it, and it hurts you back because eventually the coaching staff currently gets rid of Dwayne Haskins. So now you have a new quarterback in. Like there's so many decisions that I haven't even touched. Um, trying to figure out like why is the owner continuously getting in the way of things, trying to be successful for for a franchise that constantly loses and embarrasses himself off the field. Why do I keep buying back in? And for a fan like me who generally loves football, I told you all before 2005, I I loved the team, you know, growing up since childhood, but. I was in the in the streets playing football, playing sports or whatever, but I always stayed tuned in. I love the game of football. So for a fan like me, I love I love ball. It's not hard for me to detach Daniel Snyder from the actual love of the commanders and the love of the game. And, and that's kind of what, what separates me from some. But I'm not going to disregard the fact that a lot of fans are tired and a lot of people my age, they are mad and they are frustrated. And some are actually just numb to the fact that things probably just won't get better with Dan Snyder. I, th- I think I think of everything you just said. We could just replace one one team name with the other, and one owner name with the other, and and you'd be you'd be talking about what Cowboy <laughs> fans are, are 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 always arguing about on on Cowboys Twitter. Man, it's the same thing. And I think it's especially true, like the thing you pointed out, which is that if you're a fan who's in their like mid to late twenties into their early thirties, you haven't experienced the glory days. You know, like for you guys, probably what, what was the last great year it was like maybe 92 93 somewhere around there for yeah. us it was like 95 96 something like that you know so it's it's we're, we're talking about you know pretty pretty similar stretch here and um and so we got we got a whole bunch of young bucks who've grown up rooting for this team and never really experiencing that you know that uh, i gotta hear stories prize, all the time prize man I hear all these stories about how great Joe Gibbs was. I'm like, well, can I get a taste? Can I get a smidge of what you all experienced for 12 years? Like, I need to know something. <laughs> I, do, I do like your disposition. I think that it's, you know, because it's, and it, it applies also with Cowboy fans, too. It's like, this is the hand we're dealt. We got to deal with these these owners. This is just not going to change. And so, you know, we can still root for this team and be invested in this team, you know, by the other things that it provides. And it's just not like we don't have to just be connected with, with just a you know an owner that's just you know constantly you know in the headlines. So no, I, I do think that's the the right way to to look at it. I, I think it's, it's it's the sane way, right? I mean, otherwise you, you you're gonna you're gonna go you're gonna go crazy, or you or you just have to stop watching football, or I mean, red zone, <laughs> yeah, or, red zone, or, 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 or we just know like you know you could change your allegiances, but we know that that's not possible. I mean, after yeah. after you're about fourteen, you know, and you've already formed your allegiance. It's for life, you know, and so you can't, you can't, you can't change. Anyway, um, the next question, um, which sort of touches on this a little bit in terms of thinking about the past versus the present. Um, one of the things we do, Jamal, is, is before our guests come on, we have a little segment where, you know, we kind of talk about players from that, the team we're getting ready to play, or we'll talk about, you know, games between the Cowboys and that team or whatever. And, um, 
you know, as we were doing so, I was reminded of the 2016 team um, and the coaching staff on the team. When you go back and look at the coaching staff of the 216 team, you got you had a lot of young coaches who were on the come, and many of them have gone on to great things. We're talking about obviously Sean McVay is the one we all know about, but Joe Barry's moved on. There's Bill Callahan, who we know in Dallas as as running game Jesus, has continued to work his magic elsewhere. Wes Phillips has actually gone on to great things. You know, he started with as a quality control coach here in here in Dallas. Even Aubrey Pleasant, who's doing some nice work in Detroit. So there's a lot of a lot of good young coaches. If I look at this coaching staff, it seems like it's a different different kind of composition, different different sort of profile of coaches. So tell us about this coaching staff. Tell us about Ron Ron Rivera, who I actually have great admiration for, and and his staff and and sort of what they bring to the table here. Um, it's. It's a really excellent question, and, and the reason why it's, it's simple as simple as it is like to understand who the coaches are. It's an excellent question because of the the situation that Ron Rivera is in, and Ron Rivera came over obviously for all of the reasons in which we know who Washington is. You all know him because they're in the NFC East. You are you have some familiarity with how toxic they are from off the field standpoint in terms of the ownership. I mean how he handled things, but you also know how inept they were from the football side of things and how uh, for a long period of time they could not get any winning seasons stacked together. Uh, they came too far in between um, and all those things. And Ron Rivera had to overturn uh, a culture from a business standpoint and a roster standpoint. So uh, Dan, uh, Dan Snyder just gave him full control. Um, he, he gave him full control and he, he obviously allowed Ron Rivera to essentially run the ship from uh, hiring your front office guys, from hiring your coordinators from hiring or even a uh, personnel side and in personnel decisions, roster personnel. So uh, asking who Ron Rivera is, uh, is a person where, you know, he told us and he told everybody in his pressers when he got here, you know, I'm the coach, the decisions. Uh, if you follow my lead, this is, this is no quotes, but if you follow my lead, essentially, um, I can only say that the fault lies on me, but if you don't follow uh, what I'm doing, then, then, you know, that's a, that's a larger issue. We're three years in, two and a half years, excuse me, three games into his third season with Washington. And, you know, you peak basically in a year, in, in a COVID year, that was very strange for so many teams. But then you also, you know, had a season where um, your defense looked really good. But your defense looked really good in a, in a sense in which, uh, you know, you're placing backup quarterbacks, you're facing backup offensive linemen. So you're taking advantage of the, of the teams that you're playing. So how does Ron Rivera and his staff recognize that there is room to improve? There is room to get better and, and move forward in that way. And, and ultimately they didn't take the next two off seasons seriously enough. And, and that's me surmising it. That's not me going into full detail, but, but they didn't, uh, they, they were content with some of the younger guys that they had. They chose not to necessarily, I mean, William Jackson, the is one thing, but, the, the issue with William Jackson III and even some other signings or, or people that they chose not to not keep in here, they, they're not scheme fits. Like you have people who are really good at one thing, but you got a guy in William Jackson who conflicts in terms of being a man cover uh, cornerback. You, you have a guy who conflicts with Ken, Kendall Fuller, who is his own cover quarterback. Um, and then you have defensive line issues where you don't necessarily know who to keep. Um, you're bringing these guys in and they're not working well together. Uh, in terms of uh, like being disciplined in your rush lanes and, and your linebackers are struggling, all these different things in terms of what side of the ball that you are supposed to be good at. And that is what's hurting Ron Rivera. You had a severe regression in 2021. 
Um, and that is a result of not recognizing that there were some issues in 2020. And then this snowballed into 2022. Um, again, you chose not to really upgrade that side of the ball from a free agency standpoint. You're, you're choosing to go with your younger guys. And ultimately what you're doing in year three is you're actually laying in the bed that you that you that you made. Like this is all of the things that, that has been a culmination of some things that you have done in the offseason in which you're struggling in uh, what he's facing right now at one and two and in facing or staring down a one and three uh, situation with the, the Cowboys. You're fight. You're talking about a guy who is who is really on the brink um, <laughs> of losing support a lot of support from some of the people who who've been trying to buy back into the Washington commanders, the new era, uh, Washington, uh, team. And, and it's, it's all a byproduct of Ron Rivera who has been coming, who's been asked to come in and rebuild the team. And he's been struggling to do it. And, and it's unfortunate. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, uh, envy him at all. You know, one of the things that I'm always reminded of is something that Bill Parcells talked about during his Hall of Fame speech, which is that there's a, a lot of really good coaches in this league who, who never have a chance because the organization, the culture of the organization is not set up to win. And you can only do so much. Like, you know, the, the, entire, the entire organization has to be set up in a way that breeds winning. And um, it doesn't matter how good a coach you are. If, if, you're, if the larger organization isn't set up that way, you're going to fail, you know. And Parcells was really clear about that. And, you know, one of the things he talked about was how lucky he had been because most of the teams he played for, he said, had that had that culture and allowed him to come in and, and do the things that you're talking about that was that was Rivera's mandate. But, man, it, it's like it's like he's swimming uphill. It's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one for him. It's hard to like when you don't have that experience, they're, they're asking him to do something in his job description that he's never done before. So to your point, Sean, like you, if you don't have that guidance in terms of specifically in terms of prior experience, like it's okay if you were able to step into something and you were able to not take on such a massive project in your, in, in, in the first time that they're asking you to do this, but his project was massive and he may be stretched too thin, but, but ultimately what, what really determines the success or failure of Ron Rivera is how he's performing on the field and the football operations should be the part in which you're continuously building and, Obviously, like the way that my tone is talking to you all, Dan, talking to you all, Sean, uh, is I, obviously I've waned with Ron Rivera. Like I was willing to give him a shot. I never even thought that he was probably like the strongest candidate in terms of uh, like retread is one thing. If you're going to go retread, OK, cool. He was probably at the top of the list, um, especially since he was available and you're in desperate need of trying to sustain something in Washington if you're Dan Snyder. But ultimately, um, if you're not doing your due diligence, uh, you're hurting yourself. And it ultimately could have been the fact that Ron Rivera was the guy, right? But did you do your due diligence? He went to Joe Gibbs, and Joe Gibbs suggested Ron Rivera. And he said, okay, Ron, I want you in. Let's get it done. Like, all right, that is that simple for, for this type of situation with with, Ron, with Washington Commanders and, and Dan Snyder. Um, and, and then the same thing with Ron Rivera. Like, if you're not uh, able to understand your situation from a coaching standpoint, from a self-evaluation standpoint, getting better as a coach, again, like we said, the football operations is what dooms you or which pray or, or what puts you in a, in a high light and not being able to turn things around uh, uh, after the, the season that you had in 2020. It, that that's, and even with the offensive side of the football fellas, I know I'm like a little long winded, but even your offensive side of the football, if you look at it this year, this is probably one of the sides where you're saying, okay, they have these weapons. They have Carson Wentz. Uh, well, I mean, Carson Wentz is probably not a top 10 guy, but he's better than Taylor Heineke. 
now we can get something going on this side of the ball who's been very bad for the last, what, four or five seasons since Kirk left. And and what's going on? Three, three, three games into the season, you've been shut out of like six or seven quarters. Like, it's a lot of things that goes on, and, and the spotlight is on him to turn things around. It's a lot of pressure going to be working. Yeah, I know. It's funny. Um, You know, we had Giants Insider on last week, and we actually ranked the coaches in FC East, and the Rivera came out on top. And, you know, I, I did definitely think there's a lot of things you have to look at. Um, And one of those things is uh the, the play of your quarterback. And, you know, so, you you know, listen to you earlier, you know, you're talking about, you know, that you can just kind of see, you know, with RG3 and then the whole Kirk Cousins thing. And then, of course, with, how, you know, drafting Haskins in, in the first round and stuff. I mean, it kind of just... And I and I feel like I send this message out to Cowboys fans periodically. It's like you just, it's it's really hard to find a franchise quarterback. You just can't, you know, you can't overstate that. And uh, but you guys, you guys got Carson Wentz, and so I mean, I love Carson Wentz like I love Eli Manning. I think he's just a, a, a train wreck waiting to happen. So honestly, uh, you know, I think I'm glad he's back in the NFC East. Um, but I want you to tell. I mean, what what was Washington thinking going after him? And do you think? He is the answer for this commander's team. Uh, what were they thinking? Uh, how about this? They were desperate. <laughs> it was it was really that simple. And 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 that's not a slight to Carson Wentz more so than it is to the staff to really try and stay afloat. Like I've seen this story before. Washington fans have seen this story before. Like they're trying to stay afloat when you make a decision like Carson Wentz and and. A comparison side is think about 2018. Who did they get after Carson after Kirk Cousins left in 2017? They said, "Hey, we're not going to go through the draft. I, I I refuse to rebuild through this guy. Hey, Jay Gruden, I'm getting you. I'm getting you. Uh, Alex Smith, you better deal with it. You better find a way to deal with it. I'm gonna get you, Alex Smith. And, and what that means for Washington in, in this year, and what they were thinking with Carson Wentz. Look, Russell Wilson didn't want to come here." He was on your he was on your short list and you wanted to go real hard for Russell Wilson. He didn't want to come here uh, no matter what you offered. Uh, you had Jimmy Garoppolo on your short list. Uh, there was a report that came out Sunday and, and and I unfortunately can't tell you what's true and what's not in terms of what Adam Schefter reported. I, I have no idea what, who's telling that. But we do know before that report came out that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was on the short list and you had Carson Wentz up there and honestly any veteran that was available or that could have been available, I'm sure was on their list. And, and Robert Rivera even acknowledged the sense, like he was joking when he said this part, but he was halfway serious. He had said, like, we have reached out to all 32 teams about any quarterback on their roster to see what their availability was. I don't think he was fully serious, but I do think that he really, they really reached out to a lot of teams. So you never know where Carson Wentz ranked in that. But ultimately, when you find out that Carson Wentz is available and you understand that he may get, released or he may um potentially get released because there's so many things going on with him you ultimately trade and, and, and also offering to take on the salary so there can be no competitors of course Car- uh, of course the coach are going to take that like that that is no nobody in their right mind would would do that especially in a, for a quarterback who was essentially going to get released sure he would have had suitors but did you really have to pay the full 28 million dollar salary because you're not bargaining in terms of getting a half half of the salary and having the coach pay the other half or anything like that. And then you offer draft picks. So there's a ton of things in terms of like what desperation looks like. And for a quarterback and Carson Wentz, given the situation that he has just come off of, 
Um, understanding the quarterback that he is, would you pay that much for Carson Wentz? I think, of course, you have to get a quarterback. You have to get a veteran uh, if you're Ron Rivera for whatever reason. Um, but, like, you do what you got to do. Do I think it's going to work to answer your question, your last question? Uh, I don't see it going on. Um, there's already flaws in the first three games that's really showing how hard it is to sustain uh, winning and sustaining success with a quarterback in Carson Wentz. And that's not to say that he's playing terribly. Uh, before the before the Lions game, I said that he was, I mean, excuse me, before the Eagles game, sorry, I said that he was around like a B, a solid B. But ultimately, like when you keep compounding some of the same mistakes, which is not helped with the offensive line playing poorly, with Scott Turner not helping Carson Wentz out, but when you're capable of elevating your team, when you're capable of making the bigger plays that your team needs you to make from an accuracy standpoint, from seeing the field uh, and, and making the right read, and not being so uh, trigger happy um, and getting the ball out of your hands, like standing in there and fighting in the pocket. Uh, those are some of the instances in which you kind of see, all right, man, if everything ain't perfect for him, we're going to have some problems. Yeah, we hate, to, just, we hate to see that, Jamal. I just wanted to go out to him, mention that. It would just feel, you know, feel really bad for the whole win situation for you guys. Uh, no, you don't. It's okay. You know, I, I know you don't. And, and, and it's, it's all good. Like, I'm going to like at this point, like I tell everybody, and especially when they tell this coaching staff, when they say some things throughout the week, I just stick out. <laughs> you know, it is what it is, but you, you all made your bid. Let's see how they perform. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to close the book on it. Like I may be proven wrong, but like the way things are going and the way, and, and what I'm seeing on, on the tape, I, I don't know if anything's sustainable. I don't believe it. And I also don't believe the coaching staff is, is, is really uh, good enough. To, to correct some of the issues that, that they pre- presented themselves. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school That might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So one of the things you were talking about when you were telling us about what's going on with Carson Wentz is, was that he's not, you know, getting a lot of help from his offensive coordinator, from, a, you know, from the offensive line. Um, 
you know, in the lead up to this, I was looking online at some of your work, you know, both um, both at Hogs Heaven and some some film breakdowns you were doing there and also um, at the Trapper or Dive podcast that you host and um, some really impressive, you know, analysis of, of offensive line play and stuff like that. So I think this is a good question for you. Um, in that recent podcast on Hogs Heaven, you, you noted that the Washington offensive line was one of the most responsible parties in the loss to the hated Eagles. Thanks a lot for not helping us out and beating the Eagles. Um, <laughs> so I'd love to hear a little bit more about like what's going on with the offensive line. Why, where's the breakdowns happening? And I guess the other thing is what can they do to slow down what seems to be a pretty legit Cowboys pass rush? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I don't even know where to start. Um, they, they got dominated from left to right. Like all five positions got dominated against the Eagles. Um, they, they took their turns <laughs> getting their getting their uh, victories against this offensive line. So where did things go wrong? It, like left tackle and your tackles all together, uh, they're getting beat with speed on the edge with Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham. Uh, some of these guys, they had a, a mixed toolbox in terms of how they can actually uh, win uh, with their rush plan. So they some of them had power, power moves that uh, Leno wasn't expecting or, or speed moves that Sam Cosby wasn't expecting around the edge. Um, and also Sam Cosby wasn't able to really uh, establish like that half man relationship, which is essentially like when you take, take your pass angle or your set angle, uh, trying to cut off that path for the rusher. Um, and, and Sam Cosby is letting that up uh, on a couple of occasions um, that led to a couple of sacks for uh, on Sam, uh, excuse me, on Carson Wentz. And then your interior guys, they aren't handling power well. They aren't technically sound. Um, they aren't able to really anchor against power. And Fletcher Cox had a day on um, Trey Turner uh, and also Wes Schweischer, who was the, the current center, who was actually, as we speak, um, in per- concussion protocol after the Eagles game. So now we don't even know who's going to be at center right now. Not not yet. Um, so, like, these interior guys really struggle for the most part. The tackles had a bad day. Um, the Lions also had a, had a good day against this offensive line. From left to right, same thing. But the interior is where all the pressure is really generated from for the for the most part. And for a team in a game in which you give up nine sacks, uh, that's abnormal altogether. You you won't expect nine sacks all every single week, no matter who your pass rush is. Like even with Dallas being a very good pass rushing team and creating pressure and also getting home, you're not gonna probably get sacked. I, if look, fellas, if we get sacked nine times again, I, I may I, I'm I'm gonna just stop talking forever because like this is like this is I don't it's it's very crazy to see that but, but come, my, my come on Jamal one, one more game just one more game <laughs> no <laughs> no uh, but no seriously like the, it's it's abnormal to see that amount of times uh, quarterback going down and obviously um I'm not even doing the whole con- or conversation or situation justice because uh Carson Wentz isn't really helping this offensive line out sure they're getting beat but he did a really good job against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, helping his pass rush, I mean pass, pass, pass blocking out by dumping it off and finding those guys in the interior. I mean in the 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 short areas of the line of scrimmage. It also helps that you're playing a team who was playing very soft coverage, so it's easy to find those dump offs. But now that the coverages are changing uh, and they're finding out what Scott Turner wants to do and they're finding out how to get pressure on Carson Wentz, like things are changing. So that offensive line is more stressed out. Uh, Carson Wentz is unable to really see things clearly. It's hard for the backs to get out, and, and Scott Turner is still trying to figure out ways if I should max protect for Scott Turner or if I should send his running back out on a route, um, and, and or should I keep the tight end in to chip and before he goes out on a route, or should I keep him in the block 
And the, the wild thing is some of the tight ends are losing when they're staying in the block. So there's a culmination of things that's really hurting these guys. But really, in terms of the offensive line, it starts with the interior. Trey Turner, Andrew Norwell, those are the biggest problems. They, uh, they're a little too big in terms of, like, how slow they are. Like, they're, they're top-heavy guys. They're not really moving really good with their feet. Um, and ultimately, it's hurting them, especially against some, some athletic defensive linemen. You know, so I wanted to, I mean, honestly, I mean, looking at this, the defensive matchup, I think that that's, it's, it's looking very promising for the Cowboys. But if Washington is going to have a chance to, you know, if they're going to have to do some things on the other side of the ball, and there are, there are opportunities because the Cowboys are playing with a backup. So right now they're 2 and 0 behind, um, with the, the impressive arm of, of Cooper Rush. Uh, it, it's nothing fancy. He takes little bites. You know, very solid. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Very solid performance thus far. But my next question for you is, is how do you think, uh, defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio, you know, how do you think he will come at him in, in, and I want you to, to remind people everywhere that, you know, what can he do to remind people that Cooper Rush is just a backup? Um, well, from, there's, there's a couple of things. They did a really good job that the, the commanders did in terms of like communicating against, the, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, and on the back end mainly. And, and they did a really good job communicating and staying in sound coverage and, and being disciplined against Jalen Hurts. And uh, for all this worth in terms of all the struggles that they had this season, um, there should be no reason. I mean, obviously you gave up explosive plays and, and those are like a longer detailed conversation, right? But, and those are a lot of in man-on-man situations or uh, poor tackling after the catch that led to a big play and things like that. But, if you're in man-in-man, man, uh, Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown are, are making big plays. Guess what? Those are some of the top-tier receivers in the NFL. Um, and that's also a nod to the talent difference between uh, Washington and Philadelphia in terms of secondary versus receiving court. But back to the actual way in which they executed, they were in position in those situations. They were in position throughout the game on the back end. And that's probably one of the bigger areas in which they struggled throughout this season, uh, linebackers and secondary. Uh, the defensive line, I think it really comes down to, to getting home against Cooper Rush uh, the, the, and, and, and forcing turnovers. <laughs> like some of these guys, even in the same vein where I talked about them getting beat on explosive plays. If you if you have a knack, if you have some type of way of creating turnovers for your defense and creating turnovers and opportunities for your offense, uh, then you're you're fighting yourself into these games against Cooper Rush. Washington's only turnover this season has come at the end of the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're talking about a guy in Trevor Lawrence who just heaved it up downfield uh, irresponsibly because you still could have just threw it away and lived for another down. And and Derek Forrest, our safety, gets under it and, and game is over. But ultimately, throughout three quarters, I mean, three games where the game is actually competitive back and forth, you're not forcing any turnovers. You have zero. And there's really no playmakers on this team in terms of having a natural knack. Maybe Chase Young when he comes back, right? But nobody currently on this team who is really focused on trying to create plays or, or make plays, they're more so focused on, I just want to do my job. I don't want to mess up. Um, and they're still finding ways to mess up, whether it's through poor tackling um, or whether it's through not being able to make a play at the catch point if you're a defender. Um, so uh, in terms of what Jack Del Rio can do, I, I personally am, am concerned about – Still, I'm still concerned about the defensive backs no matter what I just said. Like that's one game doesn't doesn't stop anything in terms of what they've been showing over the past couple of games. 
uh, and then also uh, what they shown last year. So if they can continue and build upon last week, uh, then maybe that's a shot. But in terms of Jack Del Rio, it really comes down to pressure. If you can find a way to get pressure with your front five, uh, front five meaning um, your defensive line and Jamie Davis, who's your linebacker, or Cole Holcomb. So maybe one of those two. If you can find a way to get pressure with, with, with him against Cooper Rush, then maybe you have a shot to really stop this offense because um, a lot of people are finding ways to create, especially in the ground game. You know, when we were talking to our um, to our Giants representative last uh, last week about this time before the before the Monday night tilt, um, we were uh, as we were talking, we were realizing that you know both defenses had an advantage over the over the opposing offense, and I think that's probably still the case here. Uh, Cowboys offense is you know they've won the last couple of games, and Cooper Rush has looked great, but he's still like you know he's still a backup. They they they've won late against either struggling or bad teams. Uh, you know, it's not like they've been gangbusters. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing another kind of defensive struggle. What are you seeing? Uh, what's, what's, uh, you know, the, your crystal ball say about who wins and what does the final score look like? And, and to sort of piggyback on the last question, if the, if the commanders win, it's because what, what happens? Okay. Um, so for, in terms of the defensive struggles, uh, I think that the offensive line for Washington is again going to going to find issues, and I think the challenge for and, and to be honest with you, this coincides with with, with your last question. If they win, it's going to be because of Scott Turner and Carson Wentz. Um, it's really going to be because of those two. Mm-hmm. I, I always say it like the, the backbone of this offense at this point is going to be based on what can they do to score points and manufacture points and stay consistent throughout a game like a full four quarter game for Washington. Because, again, we talked about the shutouts, like how many times and how many quarters throughout this season in which they've gone scoreless. So I think that's to answer your last question, Scott Turner, Carson Wentz. But uh, also it's going to come down to how they can protect them. If they can find a way to really stop this pass rush, um, then then maybe you're talking about a, a team who can can find a way to get up uh, 24 points and get a win. Um, I think that's what it's going to take against against the Cowboys, uh, 24 points, but given that they're playing a, a Cooper Rush in, in that situation on that side of the football, um, I'm not going to sit here and say you have to find a way to try to establish the ground game. Um, that's that's kind of cliche because, I mean, technically I would say that, you know, you do have to find a way, but uh, ultimately it's, it's not about that. It's more about uh, how Scott Turner can break his tendencies and, and change things up because it seems like coordinators, defensive coordinators, and, and also the, the players that he's going up against are actually disciplined and actually are on to what he's trying to get done. So he has to be a little bit creative and change some things up. So it's not just about how, how you can run the ball. It's about how you can uh, fool your defensive coordinator. Like it's a chess match. It's not just, you know, what you want to call. It's what do you think that they think you're going to call and how do you right. counter that? Um, so there's a lot of things that goes on to that side of the ball defensively for Washington. Um, if you can, <laughs> if you can, because is Gallup, Gallup supposed to be coming back this week, right? That's right. Yeah, if, if if you can find a way to to shut down um uh uh what's his name? Uh CD Lamb, then then maybe you have an opportunity uh to, to really stay in this game. Obviously Tony Pollard is a more explosive player for, for watch I mean for, for the, the Cowboys really on that side of the ball in terms of running it and stuff like that. Obviously Zeke, I don't I don't think Zeke is a bad player, but I just think that Pollard is the most explosive out of the two right now. Um, if you can find a way to to limit the explosive plays, and maybe you're in it, but it, it really comes down to turnovers on that side of the football. And I'll continue to say that for anybody who asks me on that side of the football, because I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're going to stop anybody. 
I don't have that. I don't have that confidence on that side of the football that they can really stop anybody. It comes down to turnovers. It comes down to how you can create opportunities for your offense. Getting off the field on third down is one of those situations, uh, but creating turnovers is another way. So, um, yeah, those those are the pressing issues, man. It's Scott Turner's Carson Wentz uh, and creating turnovers. They really need it. Dan, what do you think? What's your, what's your crystal ball well, say? What did, I didn't hear uh, Demal's final score prediction. Did he? Oh yeah, you're right. I'm right. You're glad. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I'm going to sit here and say that. Um, Ooh, uh, to be honest with you, I, I think that Washington has a good shot at winning. Um, I think it'll be closer than than people probably would expect. Uh, and, and to be uh, confident that they'll bounce back in a game that they really need. Uh, you can't afford to go one and three in the uh in 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 to start the season. You can't go to four afford to go zero and two to start the division games. I'm going to sit here and say that they win. Uh, I, I think that it'll be a close game, probably around uh twenty seven to twenty one, if not like. I'll just say 24-20. I think that's probably the, the, the final one. 24-20 Washington. Okay. I, uh, you know, I'm actually a little bit agreeing with you in the sense of um, I do think it's going to be a closer game. I think I think one thing about um, the Washington's first three games is they actually had some offenses that are playing, playing well, and I think the Cowboys aren't that. They're not there yet, especially, you know, with Cooper. And I, I kind of feel like we're – I just keep waiting for the Cooper – letdown game and, and not that he like let just you know completely stinks it up but he just like he's just he's not he can't play at a ceiling forever and i think that's what he's doing right now so i think i think that i don't think the cowboys will have the offensive uh, explosiveness that the, what what uh the commanders have seen thus far however i i still struggle with figuring like how things are going to work for washington on on offense i think that this is going to be one of those games where the cowboys offense is not anything impressive but the defense gets a a score. I think they're gonna. I think they're just gonna be in Wentz's face, and I, I do see turnovers, you know, being a, coming to play here. But I, I think the Cowboys will uh, take one to the house of the defense this time around. So I do have the Cowboys winning in, in their most impressive win so far. But I, I have it twenty-seven thirteen. Um, I mean, I think they'll they'll Ooh, they'll thirteen. Okay. I just can't see. I can't see Washington really. I mean, they can't really run the ball. Um, and they they they. That's true. So I just I feel like it's going to be. I mean, Wentz will have some plays. Um, um, I, I think there's some opportunities where. So they're not going to like not find the end zone, but I don't think there there's going to be a lot of a lot of scoring coming. So that's that's my prediction. Um, so what about you, Rabs? Yeah, I think I think you know the, the reason that teams continue to invest in caution Wentz is there's like three or four times a game where he makes a throw that only the very best quarterbacks can make, right? And people are like, oh, oh if he could do that every time. You know, he, he reminds me a lot of Jeff George. I don't know if you if you remember Jeff George Jamal. And they talk about him all the time now because of him. Yeah, of yeah. Similar, similar kind of player, right? I mean, all, all the physical gifts, but he was kind of a knucklehead. And and but you know, every every game there, he'd make one throw like you know in tight coverage, right on the receiver's hands that nobody else in the league can make. And as a consequence, he stayed in the league for a long time, even though he was you know generally a very poor quarterback. Um, so I think there's going to be some of those. The last time. I remember podcasting with someone in advance of a Washington uh, tilt uh, where that person was, was kind of generally feeling as badly about the team as you've expressed is right before the Monday night game uh, in 2014 when, um, when, the, when Washington McCoy. came to Dallas and Colt McCoy led them to victory and Tony Romo got injured and all that sort of stuff, right? You remember that game. And, um, and the Cowboys lost the next week because they didn't have, they didn't have Romo against the Cardinals who were, who were pretty good. 
that year. Um, this reminds me a lot of that one. The score of that one, I believe, was something like 14-13. I'm going to go 14-13, Washington. I think it's going to be a similar oh my kind of goodness, game. Brad. I, 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 think, I think both these teams are going to have a heck of a hard time scoring. I, I don't think that – I mean, the Cowboys haven't given up 20 points yet this game. I don't think that uh, Washington is a team to, to, to change that. But I also think that the Cowboys have been – you know, they've been – Scoring early and then going quarters without scoring. So very similar story to what you were talking about, Jamal, with the, with your team. Um, and I think that I think that that's going to continue. I think it's going to they're going to have a lot of, a lot of trouble scoring in the second and third quarters, and um, and it's going to be a tight one at the end. And last couple of weeks, the tight one at the end, the Cowboys have pulled it out. And this one, I don't think they do. I tell you what, Rad says not pick the Cowboys to win a game this year. Just want to. Point that oh, out. Wow. So I mean, I, I think he. I think I it's, see what he's doing. It's a game. game. Yeah, I know what he's doing. Yeah. He's trying to. He's trying to stay undefeated for Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think he needs to go into detention. If you ask me. <laughs> well, so, uh, but, so, so here's here's what I here's what I know. What I know is that defensive performance in, in this league is is largely correlated, if not you know heavily heavily correlated to quarterback performance for the other team. And that ultimately you win in this game because you your passing offense can can generate explosive plays consistently. Cowboys can't do that. Their passing offense hasn't been able to do that since the middle of last year. Until they do, I'm not going to pick them because I don't I don't you know I'll, I'll pick a team that can consistently generate explosives in the passing game. And if they can't, then everything's a toss up because every game's going to be close. And no matter how whether you're, you know, um, you know a, a championship level team or a scrub team. Your record in in close games is roughly 500. So, uh, if the Cowboys continue to play it close, they can't. You know, I don't. I don't have faith that they're going to win, and they're going to eventually lose some. If they had lost last week, I probably would have picked them to win because I sort of feel like they're going to flip flop back and forth until until they can start doing some more stuff on offense. Well, for what is worth, if you get up if you get up seven nothing against Washington under under Ron Rivera, you probably have you probably have a good shot of, of winning the football game because. Uh, he goes down seven nothing pretty often. He goes down double digits pretty often. He loses about twenty plus points or goes down twenty plus points uh, before scoring a point pretty often. So um, you have opportunity in there with Cooper Rush. Uh, don't feel don't feel too discouraged. It's, I, as as much as you give me reason to try to change my change my score prediction and, and maybe give us under twenty points, uh, I'm inclined to keep the score prediction because uh, Washington has a good habit of allowing. Uh, 20 plus points uh, in a game. So I uh, will see, man. It's, it's actually an interesting nugget, Dan, that you mentioned. Um, I didn't even, I didn't even pay attention to the fact that you all don't haven't allowed over 20 points this season. So uh, we'll see. And, and Carson Wentz, man, the way that Philly was able to disguise some of their coverages and, and really, uh, you know, alter his decision making. Um, I wouldn't be too surprised if, if Dallas can replicate the same thing. Yeah, I appreciate you, uh, Jamal, helping talk my buddy off that ledge a little bit with his. Uh... <laughs> I can only try. <laughs> well, listen, uh, thanks so much for coming on with us. Before you leave, please tell the people where they can find your fine, fine work. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Uh, I, 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 let's see. How do I even do this? Like, I'm terrible at promoting. So I'll just say, find me on Twitter at let Maul tell it. Uh, you can find my work at hogshaven.com. And then you can find my video work, whether it's the Chopper Dive podcast uh, where it's another medium to, to do commander's work or, or talk NFL in general. Um, you can find that at Trapper Dive YouTube channel. Um, and, and I do film breakdowns and uh, I even do player profiles. I did that in the off season for, for draft 
draft draftees, potential draftees and things like that. So uh, Chopper Dive YouTube channel, you'll find all my work there as well. Again, Sean, Dan, I appreciate y'all for having me today. Yeah, thanks for hanging with us, you know, and uh, I, I wish you best of luck the week after next. It's all good. You know, I'm going to the game this weekend, so I'm about to have myself a good time regardless. You know, I, haven't, right. been to, I haven't been to the stadium in since like 2009 or something like that where we lost 7-6. to six. Um, in a heart, in a heartbreaker. I, I, I sat up in the stadium in the 400s for like 10 minutes after the game, maybe even 20 minutes. Uh, so mad, <laughs> but um, nah, I'm, I'm going there. I'm gonna have myself a good time, win or loss. Uh, it's gonna be fun, man. So we'll see. All right, thanks. You be good. Yes, sir. Well, that was great. I really enjoyed talking. Uh, talking to Jamal about uh, this upcoming tilt. You know, uh, <laughs> things don't sound so great over in uh, Washington football land. No, you know, it's very interesting um, because the guests that we've had before have been, they've always, they, they keep it real, but they always, I always feel like they have kind of a sense of optimism, you know, you know, w- with it. And uh, talking with Jamal, I feel like he keeps it real and he's not real optimistic, and it's uh, I mean, he did, he did pick, you know, Washington to to win, which I don't, I don't know what's what people that who do that are are thinking, but um, I I do I I appreciate his honesty and it's just the way that he is able to give us a lot of insight too, you know, as far as you know what we might see on Sunday. You know, the thing I first asked him, or actually, sorry, the first thing that uh, I think you first asked him was like what it's like to root for a, a team that's owned by by Dan Snyder. And um, I think that the, his answer was his general tone during the podcast, which is this tone of like resignation in a way. I think that I think that um, all the frustrations that we feel about the Jones family are in full display there in Washington plus they've actually won far, far less. They've been actually consistently a far uh, weaker and less successful team on the field as well. Um, so pretty, and, and I, you know, I think, Jan, frankly, Dan Snyder is probably a more toxic individual than Jerry Jones. And and that toxicity per, has permeated the entire organization, the front office, et cetera. Um, at, any, at any rate, um, it's going to be interesting because I, I really do feel like uh, the the Cowboys are the better team, but they're not enough better that uh, it's impossible that it be a close game. And, you know, you and I have been talking for years about the fact that close games are toss-ups and anything can happen. You know, weird a weird call, uh, a weird bounce of the ball, you know, some, some guy steps out of bounds. And, you know, I mean, the, the vagaries of the game are many. And so if it's close, they can strike either way. Absolutely. And I, I think that the logic that you presented, you know, in justifying your answer, you, you showed your work. And I think that it was, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And absolutely with these divisional teams too. And it's, and people sometimes don't understand why that they, you know, the teams play each other closest. These guys know these, know these teams very well and you know it's always mm-hmm. a, a chess game but it's like you've, you've kind of seen these moves before you know so it's you're more familiar so when you have that you know it takes away some of that and, and you're absolutely right it could just come it could be a, a snap infraction that you know costs you to be moved back five yards and then you doink the field goal and boom you've you've lost to washington i mean we've seen that happen before and it absolutely it can happen again so um mm, absolutely um, so speaking of showing your work, one of the things I wanted to talk about before we sign off and, uh, was uh, a, a moment or two um, 
during the game against the Giants that I really felt uh, was was interesting and in some ways, you know, spoke to some of the things we've been talking about uh, both before the season began and in the first couple games, which is uh, that the Cowboys are a young team that's on the that's on the come. And um, there was a there was at least one play, but maybe more than one where I think four rookies were in the starting lineup on offense uh, against the Giants. So there was one where, um, where of course, their first-round pick, right? Tyler Smith was playing left tackle for the whole game. They had uh, one, one or more rookies in at tight end because, of course, Dalton Schultz was out. So we had both um, uh, Jake uh, Fredrickson? Ferguson. Ferguson, thank you. Jake Ferguson and uh, and Hendershot were both were both quite both quite playing. often those guys. Yeah, and they, they ran a lot of twelve personnel with both of them, and actually both of them did a really nice job blocking and did a nice job on the edge. And of course, Hendershot had that big um, that big downfield pass that was instrumental um, late in the game. Um, but they also had uh, let's see who else did they? They also had um, Jalen uh, Jalen Jalen Tolbert was was in at wide receiver at the same time. So. And then, of course, you know, you had Matt Farniak, who's a young guy. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of youth on offense, um, you know, at, at key moments. But I think also, I mean, Sam Williams had a great game. He was close several times. Um, you know, there's, there's been a there's been a lot of a lot of nice play from the 2022 rookie class. I don't know, ultimately, at the end of the year where they'll land in terms of snap counts and those kind of things. But I think that. One of the things that's important for us to do as Cowboy fans is to remind remind ourselves of how unusual it is for a rookie to start from the very jump. Like, I think partially because they've been unusually good at uh, drafting in the first round, it's come to be an expectation that your first rounder just automatically comes in and plays at, like, a high level from the beginning. That's actually not the typical NFL story. So the fact that Tyler Smith has come in and um, I, you know, I think that I know you've already uh, offered uh, a couple of mea, uh, a mea culpa about, you know, your analysis of the player and a lot of other people have, have come forward and done the same. Um, but you know, that the entire 2022 rookie classes is, is looking very solid. And, you know, we've talked about the fact that, it takes three years of good drafting to really build a stellar team. And I believe firmly that they've had three very strong drafts. You can, you know, people can cite the cite the misses. You can, you can even say that Kelvin Joseph is a miss. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that to be the case at all. Um, I think, you know, guys develop and he's got good players in front of him. Um, but this team is good and deep because they've been drafting really well lately. And this, this rookie class, I mean, the early returns are very promising, my friend. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I'm really surprised with how well they're playing, even with the disappointment of Jalen Tolbert, obviously, and and Sam Williams. You know, if I if I never see him get a late hit penalty again, it will you know it will be too soon. As those things are frustrating. But if you look at what they're doing, especially with the tight ends, who would figure that? that Ferguson and Hendershot could come in there and secure the edge and just come in there like, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. like make almost, and then make Sean McKeon like the other guy, you know, and it's, it's very impressive. And I, I do think that we have to credit both Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore for, uh, for what, the, especially Kellen for what he's had to work with these, these first three games. It's, you know, when you look at how many inexperienced players, not just rookies, but inexperienced players, like you mentioned, Farniak, and he, we got to mention Noah Brown too, because 
he doesn't like, you know, this is the most action he's seen in his career. And, and you know, you, you look at that and you see what they're doing. You know, they're actually setting these guys up pretty well. And, and that makes you wonder, like, when the Cowboys offense gets healthy and you have, like, a healthy Dak and a healthy Gallup and Dalton comes back and everything, you know, what what's that going to be, you know? And, and it, you know, there are reasons to be excited excited about this team. I, I do think there's still some things to to be concerned about but um you're right i mean this team is they are they are a homebred team they they make no you know excuses about that and this is the way it's going to be and um Mm -hmm. i i'm i have to say that i'm i'm pleased with i think some of the plans that they had in place that seemed like not so good plans and we you know we discussed this in the off season too and we actually kind of debunked some of them already but even the Mm -hmm. ones we still had doubts about are actually starting to prove themselves to be true and so i do think there's credit to, to be given with with this cowboys organization and because this is this is a, a good group to root for yeah a couple of things about that so you're familiar with with war wins above replacement yeah yeah i mean a little bit yeah so yeah. Uh, the idea is like you know the more valuable uh, uh um a player is the higher his war because that's how much more he provides than a sort of average ordinary replacement level player right so you that, that that's where the that's where the sort of the term replacement level player originated. And so um, I saw something a couple of days ago on Twitter that the Cowboys have lost more WAR to injury than any other team in the league at this point in the season. And a lot of that's Dak, but it's also Gallup. And, and I would say the vast majority of that is also all happening on offense. Right. And so um, as you were just, so as you were just saying, when they get their, when they get their better players back. So, so Schultz will come back Gallup will come back. Dak will come back. Um, you know, uh, theoretically, Connor McGovern will come back. And so, the, you know, there's a lot of guys headed back who are going to be, um, you know, instrumental players. So hopefully that'll that'll help, uh, you know, on on the on the offensive side of the ball. And the other thing I think is just that, given how this rookie class is playing now, I mean, typically a young team is is a is a thing is a thing you want because they're going to get better as the season goes on. Young teams get better for, as the season goes on, and they also stay injured for a lot less time. So the likelihood that this team is going to be better uh, at the end of the year, that this team is not going to be as beat up because their young guys are going to recover more quickly than teams that are older, um, and that they will be a better team at the end of the year than they are now is something that I was talking about a lot, right? It was highly, highly likely, and I think it's important to kind of remind everybody about that fact, because I think it's something that nobody was really talking about. I know we talked about it, but I think it was something that almost nobody was talking about when we talked about the team's the, the sort of personal decisions over the course of the off season. You know, everybody's like, what are they doing? They're purposefully getting worse. I never, I, I thought they were not purposely getting worse. I thought they looked at their young guys and said, we have an un- unbelievably young and talented core here. Let's let them run. Right. Yeah, I let's mean, get all the impediments out of the way. And and Leal Collins was an impediment, and we're seeing it. We're seeing that Terrence Steele is a much better player now, not only than he was, but than Leal Collins is. They were right. They were right to get the progress stopper out of town. I don't I don't know what's going to happen with Amari Cooper, but I think that part of it was they just couldn't they couldn't they couldn't deal with the player anymore. But part of it was also let's let these young guys 
take take over that, those roles. And so that hasn't happened yet, but it, almost everywhere else where they invested in youth is starting to pay off in spades and it's just going to get better. Yeah. And I think you're, I mean, I think the Cooper one is the only one to me that is a, is a TBD. And I, and I wrote about that um, on Wednesday and uh, in a fine article, by the way, everybody go to blogging the boys and read it. Absolutely. Uh, but, and I, to me, I mean, you know how I felt about the Mari thing. I was, I was against it. Um, and as I'm trying to muster up the belief in the front office, and I, I want to try to understand what they're trying to do, and I, while I do still think Cooper is a, is a really good player, um, I still I want to see things play out with when they're healthy. So I mean, are you going to get that 20 million million value from from Amari Cooper, whereas what you could do with when you have uh, CD, uh, Michael Gallup, and then Noah Brown? We got him, Noah Brown. We got him. he's he's a player. He's he's a person that, that plays for this team. Um, mm-hmm. and very valuable blocker too. Every time more, the more tape I watch, it's like, it's so great to have a really good blocking receiver. Um, uh, so, you know, what, what's that going to look like? Would, are we truly missing Amari Cooper in that sense? And I'm, that, that's where I'm not so sure that, that we are. And we'll have to see, um, because we have to be honest with ourselves. We have not seen those guys have been for like the last few years. We've had at least last two, we've had three good receivers you know and now we you know two of them are like taken out of the mix we never see had amari had to carry us the whole way he's always had at least gallop there i mean so i guess it's just too early to be too critical because we haven't seen things um you know come to come to fruition yet so uh i'm just of the belief that maybe the front office they they just i, th- I think rabs they may know more about what they're doing than what what we do you know as fans I think I think the thing about that is they know more about these players than we do. I mean, I think they make a lot of mistakes, and it's easy to second guess them. And I, you know, we we can we can dispute their talent acquisition strategy, but the but the the thing about that is they're in in the locker room with these players every day. They're in practice with them every day. They understand the makeup. They understand the talent, and and I think that that's something that we as fans don't see. And I, and I think the place where we really don't see it is, and I've said this a bunch of times, Monday through Saturday, right? They see, they see that guys are invested Monday through Saturday and the guys who aren't, and two of them are the guys we're talking about who are no longer in Dallas, aren't here anymore. Right? If you have, if you got a young team, you want, you want everyone there to be a, a role model. And, and ultimately you don't, when you have a young team on the come, you don't need those kind of dudes. Right. No, I mean, and absolutely. I, mean, I think Terrence Still is a perfect example of it. They know what they have in that guy. They, they, they don't. They haven't wavered one bit about it. It's, it's without a doubt. And like with Dorrance Armstrong is another example. The you know the way he's playing, re up yeah. on, on him, and even in with Noah too is they they just know what he can provide. And I think we're all surprised about what he does in the receiving game. But but the Cowboys are probably far less surprised. Um, so. No, you're I guarantee right. it. I guarantee you they saw this. And, you know, Bill Parcells, I know I quoted him earlier, but and I'd like to come back to him because I think he's, uh, I don't know that he was a great coach, but he was a very wise, wise person. Um, and one of the things he talks about is that, you know, there's players whose careers never happen because they don't get opportunity, you know, and, and Noah Brown, I mean, he, you know, he, they, they tried to find a role for him. They liked him, but the reality was, <laughs> they, he, there were four receivers who were better pure receivers than he was. And so he never really got a chance to get those reps. So now he's getting them. They gave him a chance and he earned the chance. And But they saw that he could do it. They would never have, have given him that opportunity if they didn't think that he had a, he had a chance to do it. They saw him doing it in practice. You know, he, we, we've seen it in camp. 
And so they just said this was deserved an opportunity to, to, you know, get some run as a third receiver. And look what he's done. He's been great. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the year, he ends up being a more physical Cedric Wilson, you know, in terms of, in, just in terms of contribution. It's funny. He you- won't be as explosive, but I think he can, he can, he can get those that that sort of share you know what i mean and, and acquit himself well absolutely in fact it's funny you mentioned cedric wilson because i actually tweeted um a comparison you know a few months ago when and i talked about how how what you saw cedric's contribution the year before last and then the jump when they finally gave him opportunity and stuff and his, you know that how that compares to what noah gave us last year and now you know let's see what noah has with these opportunities and I tell you what, he's on pace to to eclipse Cedric Wilson, to be quite honest. And so, and the fact that what he contributes is in the running game is is so huge too. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think they they just they know what they're doing. And it, the thing I like about what's happening so far is that, and I I will never believe that they're purposely trying to get worse. That's just the silliest thing ever. They may get worse, but it sure won't be from their intentions. That, you know, no, no. If anybody who says that does not understand this front office. Yeah, and I, but I actually believe that they, they, they might have a good read on actually what's going on, and that this could be this this could go somewhere. It's early, but you know this could go somewhere. But yeah. speaking of going somewhere, Rabs, what do you say we go somewhere? Uh, let's call it a show for for the day. Uh, if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, you know, what you think of uh, the matchups come upcoming or, you know, what animals just drive you crazy. Let us, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyFanum24 and Rabs is at Rabble Rouser spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay true to the silver blue. And we will catch you later. Class dismissed. <laughs>